So we had the first week of the humanist group. Yes. And our first topic was faith and where faith might be necessary outside of institutional religion or institutional spirituality. I went into it thinking faith might be synonymous with optimism. Yeah. What did you go into it with? I actually went more the trust route, which was interesting because it seemed like that was exactly, if you had to split the group into two main tracks, that was kind of where it felt like they trust. fell. It was, yeah, yeah, like the optimism versus trust. Like yeah. if you were defining faith, that was kind of interesting to me. Well, there was also faith versus trust. Yeah, which that was cool. I enjoyed how that splintered off like that. I think faith was defined more like in that delineation of it. Like faith was defined more as instinct and trust was defined more as intuition. Yeah. Or maybe faith is instinctual and or intuitive, but trust is learned and more deliberate. Yeah, I could see that. It doesn't seem like a lot of these definitions have to be mutually exclusive, too, because it's... No, it doesn't. One interesting thing I kind of found myself thinking about when when we were debating the meaning of faith in an optimistic sense was kind of the realization that optimism doesn't necessarily have to equate directly with um, with joy in the way mm-hmm. that I think we were trying to pin it down. Yeah, Which I don't think that that's wrong, but I think there's other ways too of like faith in that regard being kind of a, a resting place more than, you know, sunshine and daisies. Like it's kind of, because you could have faith that everything means nothing. Yeah. And, you know, you could just have faith that things are going to stick to your plan. Like whatever plan is making you feel safe, you can have faith in that plan. And that's still better than spiraling off kind of into ambiguity, you know? So it's sort of, I think sometimes it can be optimism as happiness. Sometimes it can just be organized. Yeah, I find that for me, optimism is like very rarely happiness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I didn't bring it up because I was like, I don't know how necessarily like universal this is. But Well, we did a whole episode of Friday Night Folk about this, remember? No, but okay. <laughs> it was fun though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You brought up that Nietzsche quote. Um, it was something like the birth of tragedy is the death of pessimism. Oh, that's a good one. But, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad, glad you did. still think so. Yeah. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> and I think what you meant by that and arguably what good old Friedrich meant by that was <laughs> that whenever there's sort of an inciting incident to the need for optimism, you know, like whatever brings you into the state that is the need for optimism. Yeah. Any given thing can come out of that state, whether it is hope or death, Mm. both can be manifested in beautiful ways. Yeah. And both can be like kind of processed through human emotion in beautiful ways. So like there are any given number of permutations for a tragedy to go, but it arguably has more permutations than not that can end up beautiful and serving something and being impactful in such a way that it was worth being optimistic about the outcome. Yeah. I'm probably wording that in a way that he would hate, but (laughs) he hated a lot of things. Yeah, he did. Just kind (laughs) of throwing that to the wind. No, and that, it starts to line back up too with, um, I think I brought up something in the meeting about like 
the the weather climate analogy, like faith and right. trust going together that way. And that's where those start to come closer together for me, where it's faith is a climate of trust, you know, like faith is kind of, I mean, trust is kind of like the momentary bits of weather that you get, where if you get yeah. enough of the similar ones, eventually you have a climate of faith in what you trusted. And yeah. that's where it's like, it starts to be like, all right, well, the optimism is justified. Like the faith is justified because you've seen the same favorable outcome or the same harmony that you were looking for, or at least that yeah. helps you make sense of things. So I think they kind of like jockey with each other at times. Because I, I even feel like sometimes when people, and I mean, I'm granted I'm saying this completely from a, a pretty secular point of view, but like when people lose faith, sometimes they lose trust in, either instead or in addition. And so I, I just, I found it interesting how initially that discussion started as those two words being synonyms, but I think they're more counterparts. I wrote down a bunch of things that were being tossed around. Okay. And one thing that was uh, very common was faith being a future-oriented action. Yeah. Or like a, a state of future orientation. Yeah, actually, Jan had some great ones. Did you write down any of his, his lines about that? I did, that? Yeah, yeah. me I too. <laughs> a collapsing of the future into the present. Was that what one of the ones that he said? A collapsing of the future into the now. That's just a great line. Like, I wrote that down purely because I was like, I just don't want to forget that phrase like that's cool as hell i don't know if he made that up i feel like i've heard that in a book or mm. something but i think that's a really cool way of looking at it though personally yeah because when you think about it like it all has to do with like like even if it doesn't feel future oriented at the at the time when faith is needed yeah it ends up being future oriented in some way yeah and so like i i there's a great i feel like we're throwing around a whole bunch of quotes but <laughs> And I was going to wait to bring this up later, but I'm going to bring it up now because it's very germane. But as we talked about with Brian the other night, we're both reading Richard Rohr books. Mm. And maybe my new favorite Rohr quote is um, from Everything Belongs. The most courageous thing we will ever do is to bear humbly the mysteries of our own reality. <laughs> yeah, that's a good quote. So I think faith, like, it requires a mystery. Yeah, definitely. It requires the need to contextualize a moment within reality. Yeah. And it requires that inherently the mystery will not be solved, which is not to say that it requires that there won't be a certain outcome, but it is to say that that outcome can never be actually predicted or can never be actually, like it could be hoped for, it can be prayed for, it can be trusted in, but... Faith is also a state of surrender. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't actually have any control over the future. You can act as if the future is going to manifest the way that you want it. But there is a surrendering to a surrendering to the present moment in hopes that there will be a future moment that you will again have to surrender to. <laughs> yeah. Well that was Jan had another I wrote down a couple of his other lines. On that one, um, acting on the basis of a thing which is not yet now. Yeah. And acting in such a way as to bring about the world you believe is real. And yeah, I think those tie in there. Like those are also pretty cool lines. He's a well-spoken man. Well, maybe we should real quick say that uh, for anybody who hasn't heard this on, on any announcements yet, 
So we're participating in this group called the Humanist Perspective through the Liturgists Network and through their community, their online community. And basically it is a look at language and practice that seems ideological but doesn't have to be or seems based in institutional religion but doesn't necessarily have to be. And so it's not necessarily like an atheist approach to all of this language, but it's more of a, if we decontextualize this language and these social and emotional needs that we have, regardless of the institutions or the religions or the faiths that we're a part of, can we then recontextualize them in ways that will help us rebuild our understanding of them and engage with these concepts outside of the institutions where we've found the most necessary in the past. Mm. I think that's succinct enough. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's good. Yeah. You know, one thing that strikes me, like I don't even remember if we covered this uh, during the group, which I kind of now wish we did, but we've been discussing faith as a noun, but in some ways it's kind of just, it's the absence of one, you know? Like it's, I think we've oh, glanced yeah. off of it, but it's like, that's to me why it's so hard to really specifically define it and to put like a really fine point on it, whether it's like, you know, has to do with trust, whether it has to do with God, whether it has to do with rationality, anything like the only commonality between all of these things is the fact that it's almost, I had a philosophy professor once say, it's like, I think, I forget what book it was, but I believe it was Plato who's saying like, that's the role of, um, of metaphor and of poetry. It's like, you know, when our, human faculties or our capacities can't cover it anymore. It allows us to kind of reach beyond and sort of reach into the heavens a little bit. And that to me is what faith is. It's not so much that it is a thing. It's just the way we've sort of described that singularity. So, you know, if you're a scientist and you're a complete like card-carrying atheist about the world, then your faith has to do with, you know, your vision of the world going forward where science continues to fill in the gaps and rationality continues to hold your universe together. And if you're a Christian, then it's more God's deal. And if, you know, it's, it, there's any number of ways you can fill that synapse, but I think faith is sort of that like definable, indefinable thing that's just floating around in whatever personal void you have between you and your existence. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that we did talk about briefly and that I have written down here is, does faith require action? So mm. faith isn't a noun, is, is faith instead a verb? Oh, yeah. And I don't want to speak to that objectively, but I think that for me often it is. I think that like if you were to say that faith is synonymous with optimism in some cases, then like does optimism require action? Mm. And often it does. I think a lot of these forms of of faith that we talked about require action. Yeah. Because again, it's a, I don't know, the way that I look at it, like action is often really, really necessary. And I think that a lot of people came from, I won't speak for them necessarily, but I know that a lot of people have come from religious backgrounds where faith does not require action. Yeah. Where faith informs, what's the word? Not demeanor. Uh, disposition. Faith okay. informs d disposition, but that disposition does not always require action. That disposition can be extremely passive and can lead to spiritual bypassing and can lead to that sort of predestination thing that Calvinists are into and like yeah. 
the fatalism thing. Yeah, know? I was just it's gonna like, bring that up. Yeah. 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 Like if you already think that some deity has a plan for you that is going to be carried out no matter what action you take, then what's the point in taking certain action? Yeah. And in that way, I think that institutional religion often differs strongly from optimism. Well, optimism's really hard to wrangle on a group yeah. level. You know, when you think about it, like even in the most well-meaning way, trying to have an institutional religion or trying to have anything form a structure, optimism has a pretty quick half-life in any unified meaning of the, the word, you know, like, because it splinters off into complete subjectivity very fast. Pessimism, you can, it's just soggy. It keeps everybody damp and closely huddled forever. I think that optimism is a learned response. Mm. And I think that pessimism is also a learned response. But I, to say that a little bit better, I think that optimism is, the reason it has a half-life yeah. is because it requires practice. Yeah. And I think that that half-life extends to a longer and longer potential duration. The more you practice optimism mm. and the more strongly you engage with it and the more <laughs> faith you put in optimism. <laughs> so maybe they are different things. But pessimism, like another thing that I picked up from Richard Rohr is life energy versus death energy. Mm -hmm. And like optimism has a real life energy to it and pessimism has a real death energy to it. So it's interesting that we're able to huddle around pessimism yeah, as if it is some life-giving force when in fact it mm -hmm. often is not, but it is easy to be cynical together. It is easy to kind of lose faith together. It is easy to give up if the whole group is giving up. Yeah. But that's almost what I mean, like, not so much that optimism itself has a half-life that's quicker than pessimism or something, but more that optimism begets blank. Like, it inspires, it keeps people energized, it keeps you moving. And to me, by definition, it's it's movement. It's just, you've got whatever you need to just to be a person, to keep going forward towards whatever hope you have for your world. And that would be really hard to corral, you know, like over time, if you were trying to have an institutional body of any kind, it would be impossible to keep everybody shooting in the same direction because you'd start to have many different dreams and many different hopes attached to that optimistic thread. Whereas something like pessimism, you just don't want to be damaged anymore or you just want to stay in this lane because it really aligns with fatalism for me. Like you, you mentioned, like it's just, there's a simplicity to it and it kind of by definition there's no possibility in the same way that there is for optimism i don't want to say that there isn't possibility because i think there can be negative ones but it's that's why i mean by like it's soggier it keeps people clumped because it's like you get up you take your lump you wait for the sun to go down and eventually god kills you and yeah. whereas optimism you get up and you've got the guts to ask questions you get the energy to go out and greet the world with open eyes you've got the strength to meet other people and be vulnerable and share yourself with them like whatever you need it to be because it's optimistic there's that hope do you think that it's possible to have faith in pessimism oh for sure yeah okay that's why i wanted to differentiate optimism and joy a little bit during the group discussion yeah. i didn't know how to phrase yeah. it and still kind of don't but like that's why I've always looked at optimism as kinetic energy and really nothing more. If it means joy for you, then it's joy. But to me, it's if I had to put it just really simplistically, for me, it's the idea that like my day could be torn down to the foundation and there'll be another day tomorrow that might be different or there might be 
I'd still have a little bit of control. Whereas pessimism is like, I don't know, <laughs> it's hemmed in. <laughs> See, I don't, I, it could be having a religious background. It could be the way that I've trained myself to think at this point. Mm. Faith doesn't have that connotation to me where it could be lined up with pessimism and be at all productive. And I'm not disagreeing with you. I just, it's like a syntax error in my head. <laughs> well, that's why this conversation that both like this one and the group one are so interesting to me though, is because like I said, I've come at it secularly. So it's kind of cool to like, to me, faith is a pretty mutable thing. I've never experienced the capital F faith. Yeah. So it's, it's fascinating to, to think that like, it is so synonymous with something like joy or that it's so antithetical to something like pessimism. I completely get it. I just, it's like, yeah, I had never really considered that until we started talking about it. Well, I forget who said it, but someone in the group, I have it written down here. Well, what I wrote down was hope equals faith without works. And I think that resonates with me a lot. And the reason that that seems antithetical to being able to one being able to have faith in pessimism is that pessimism often takes away the works. Yeah. And I think that like, if we're, if, I don't know, it's an argument that I would make that faith does require action, mm -hmm. you know, like to put into action what you want to see the world become. Yeah. Like we talked, talked a little bit about like sustainability, right? Yeah. And having faith in that the corporate mankind will come to its senses and get on the sustainability train and save the planet, right? Yeah. You can have faith that that will happen. That faith will be more effective if you act on it. That faith will not be effective at all if it goes into some sort of like cynicism that things will never change, that the environment is just doomed. Yeah. But then what if faith is more of a fear management device? Which again, I don't want to be reductive to, you know, anybody that takes it more celestially or anybody that like puts more into it. But if, because I don't even necessarily agree with this, but if it is purely that, if it's purely just a mechanism to avoid feeling the deep terror that you would feel if you lost complete faith in your species or your God or your planet, maybe it is effective no matter what, shade it takes because it's keeping you from spiraling you know even if it's pessimism you're at least anchored you're anchored to something shitty but you're anchored yeah it keeps you from being completely paralyzed at that point you know like and i wonder sometimes if just whether it's an evolutionary thing or just a psychological thing or whatever it might be if that's a function of it well i would i would argue that that goes back to roar's quote where if you are to bear faith humbly if you are to bear a mystery humbly, right? Like there's something about pessimism that does not come across to me as humble. Yeah. There's something. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. <laughs> that's, that's why that kind of bothers me. Like there's yeah. something about cynicism and pessimism that is very much, I know how this is going to go. So I'm not going to try. So I'm not going to believe in it. So I'm not going to bother hoping because hoping, and I agree with this, like hoping is expending too much energy a lot of the time. Yeah. And it is exhausting to, yeah. to hope and see no results. However, that is a state of knowing. That is a state of belief and not necessarily a state of faith. Yeah. That is a state of making truth claims about what is and isn't worth it. Yeah. 
rather than a state of hoping that something will be worth it in the future. Yeah. And that's why that doesn't quite equate to me. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So there's no humility to cynicism or pessimism because it is. it seems to me to be a state of knowing. Yeah. The humility is in, can I be tasked with trying? And that's where it, it gets a little paradoxical with stuff like, like I've always felt the exact same way about pessimism and honestly about fatalism and uh, yeah, a lot of forms of cynicism. It's kind of one of those interesting topics where if you look at them with humility, it's almost got to be a holding pattern. Like you kind of have to look at it like this is a person who's just shut down. Like they have been... They're in shock. I've always looked at it that way. Like they're, they're in some philosophical, spiritual, whatever version of shock where they're just past their capacity to handle pain or to handle exhaustion or whatever it is. And yeah. they need an answer so badly that they're willing to settle for death yeah. while still living, you know, and that's brutal. So it's like, I can't fault somebody who's arrived at that conclusion because it's, even if I don't agree with it, because it's very much... I think a cage you're forced into. I don't think anybody chooses to be there no matter how much of a hipster they are. But <laughs> <laughs> but like at the same time, yeah, it, it is kind of, it's weird to have faith in something like that. And you, I agree you can't um, do it humbly because <laughs> it's, yeah, if you wanted to fight them on it, it's really like, so you know, like based on what, your fucking pain? You know how the universe works because your pain is so important that it holds the answers we've all been searching for since the birth of humanity. Right. Or your, or your suspicion or your distrust or your whatever negative feelings you have about that. And that's yeah. the thing is like that always comes from negativity. That might be too big of a general generalization, <laughs> but like that seems to always come from like a, a certainty of the continuation of what's the word I'm looking for. I don't know. I was trying not to say lack. Mm. I think that faith can also be the acceptance of a lack and the acceptance of like, that can be a, a promise for later. Yeah. You know, seven years of famine doesn't mean there won't be seven years of good harvest later. Yeah. So I guess I, to go back to this, that that's where faith doesn't equate to pessimism for me. Because as we talked about before, the opposite of faith is certainty, not doubt. So if you're already certain of the outcome that you don't want, or you're already certain about the outcome that is in some way damning, then what's the point of putting faith in that thing when, like, if you are employing faith at all, you might as well put energy into it being a hopeful faith or a more action-oriented or works-oriented faith. Mm. And pessimism is is a cop out to that to me. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. But then I wonder if a distinction has to be made between something like pessimism and something like true fatalism. Because pessimism always strikes me as a very strong, pretty sure, as opposed mm -hmm. to a certain. Yeah. Because I, I don't think a lot of pessimists are necessarily willing to say that they are absolutely unequivocally certain about their outcome being right. They're just pretty damn sure that it's going to go that way. And that's why they're yeah. so goddamn annoying. Cause it's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, but there's a possibility that it isn't. Let's at yeah. least talk about that. But, but it's different than something like fatalism, uh, which is kind of interesting to me just for the fact that it's, 
it's it's so narrow, but mm -hmm. it's so deep. So that one I could see not necessarily, I don't know, it's weird. I could still see there being a role for faith in a different way, but maybe not in an ideological way, you know? Because that's where it's almost, there's also a difference between faith that's generated by the person who's either going to have or not have faith, and then there's faith that's kind of ascribed to them or assigned to them. Like, they don't know. No one knows anything. We cover this to death with the objective truth one, I think. Uh -huh. But like, we, you can't necessarily totally know, but you can be pretty certain. You can be pretty sh sure that at least this is how you want your actions to go. You could live your whole life before anybody comes to the conclusion that would render you certain or uncertain. So it's like, it doesn't matter in another way. So it's kind of like that person's acting on certainty, but the rest of the world is viewing that certainty as faith or they're acting on faith, or it feels like both. You know, it's like, it's a very multifaceted word, no matter which way you cut it. And it sort mm -hmm. of occupies every type of word that it could be. Because, like, I would look at a fatalist and say, you're acting on faith, that this is how the world is going to be, and they would be certain that this is how the world is going to be if they were a true fatalist, you know? Right, I see what you're saying. Okay. And that's a disagreement I see never being really resolved between, like again, like really staunch card-carrying atheists and extremely religious people of any faith. It's sure. one of those things where it's like, that's the disconnect, really. It's just you're both dead certain that you're right. And yeah. it doesn't matter who is in, a, in terms of the conversation from the outside. Yeah. But it's okay that it matters to both of you. And maybe that is, even though it's not the point of the group necessarily, um, to resign to never resolve differences, <laughs> uh, one of the things that we're playing around with, again, is the deconstruction of language. Mm. And maybe one of the most valuable things that could come of it is that you can look at how someone might hold a perspective forever and never come around to your perspective. But to know that your perspective is not the only one and that any given context is going to lead to any given ways to engage with certain language and ways to engage with certain concepts that could be ideological or not. But it is often the ideology that it determines how you put certain languages and concepts into action. And it is ideology that often allows us to speak with authority about whether or not someone else's actions or beliefs are valid. And I think that what we're trying to do, part of what we're trying to do with this group mm. is to validate those other, those other contexts. Yeah. And I like just the, the idea that, um, I, I mean, I don't know if it was ever said, but I, I felt the comfort level around just that general sense of exploration kind of increase as the conversation went on. Just the idea of, picking apart something as simple as language, I think, strikes people very differently. Yeah, there were some skeptics. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I get it, too. Like, some people are just repulsed by the idea because it seems like a huge pain, and other people are terrified of it, and some people just maybe never realized you could. Mm. And then once everybody starts doing it, the, the depth starts changing very rapidly. Like, people start going all over the place with whatever their meaning of that exercise is, and it's... I love that personally, but it's nothing but a, you know, if not a blind side, if you do it right. Yeah. It's like leaning against a trap wall, like the haunted house image, you know, like just, that's how it always kind of feels having those conversations. Like something you've thought was load bearing your entire life means fucking nothing. And that's, 
I got such a kick out of that. But it, it was cool seeing that increase as the group went along that people started to trust it a little bit more. I like how you said load-bearing because like a lot of, I think, the effort that goes into the conversations within this group is to make these concepts less load-bearing or to make our definitions of them less load-bearing. Yeah. That's something I've always... Um... Granted, I guess the phrase came from watching a little HGTV today, but <laughs> I think the concept to me is always held where it's a reason why I've always like, like I've had various relationships with things like spirituality and atheism and whatever, but I've always kind of chafed against the idea that like th these conversations need to happen in any kind of like an antagonistic or even um, goal oriented way mm -hmm. because the instant you find out that this concept or this word or whatever it might be is load-bearing for somebody, it's just load-bearing. It's like, it doesn't matter how badly you want an open concept kitchen, you cannot take that wall down right now. Oh, you might be able to eventually, but like there's wires in there or something, there's beams, like, and it's the same shit conversationally. Like when somebody reacts that hard to the idea that you're telling them, like that, I always think about, um, you know the movie Religious or Religious or whatever the hell? Yeah. The tagline on the cover of that is just the like, something about the idea of like, how could you possibly believe in a talking snake? And mm -hmm. granted, some of the people in that are like kind of funny, but I re honestly just reject the whole concept of that movie wholeheartedly in some ways where it's like, that person is defending the idea of a talking snake this hard. Don't you think it might mean something? Yeah. So why are you fighting them? blow for blow why don't you guys just explore this and think about like well what is that why does that mean that much to you and i wonder you know what in your experience has taught you that that's real and like just volley it instead of making it into a salvo and i, I like conversations like this because i think they not only accomplish that end but they also sort of empower the people having the conversation to realize like oh shit we can all just poke around here and my beliefs are no less intact than theirs and it's this is good yeah but also that example is about battling certainty with certainty, which is what Bill Maher does. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> then who is the burden on though? Because like if one of those sides has to give in order for it to be a more gracious relationship between two sides, I think we're always asking for only one side to give. Yeah, Definitely. There often doesn't seem to be any other way or even for it to be possible for just one side to give. But I don't know. I felt the same about that movie, yeah. honestly. It did seem a little bit harsh, but um, or a little bit unnecessary. Yeah, that's what I like, mean. We and know. I, yeah. And I feel that with Bill Maher a lot where it's like, yeah. what does it tell you about yourself if all of your deepest ideologies and most closely held beliefs are carnivorous, you know, like if they need to kill other beliefs in order to survive? Maybe it's not well, a real belief. I think it's in response to other beliefs coming across that way to him. Yeah. Because I can certainly say that. And that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like a response to certainty being certainty means that you're combative. Yeah. And you don't get combative without a threat. Yeah. So if certainty comes across to you as a threat for whatever reason, and there are many reasons that it could. Yeah. Then of course you're going to be combative with your own certainty. This is exactly what I did with my with my whole like exploration of Christianity and just like started taking hard stances. Yeah. In something that does not need hard stances taken and like is not going to 
like there are rifts within Christianity and within like Christian families that are not going to heal. It yeah. will never be mended if you meet certainty with certainty. But this is the entire reason that I stopped engaging with it because I realized that that's what I was doing. It's impossible not to be combative if you see a threat in someone else's certainty. But it's interesting too, because there's almost a utility to having that certainty in the same way there's a utility to having nihilism or pessimism sometimes. It's the same way that's a holding pattern and that's a palliative thing. The certainty can be a very strong point from which to kick off and give yourself the confidence that you need or just entrench yourself enough that you have to figure it out. It's when you linger there forever that it becomes... Like the fact that you ended up back at humanism is a very good thing and speaks strongly about your personality, yeah. I think. But, you know, some people... At, can go their entire life just basing their decisions and their ideologies on that initial premise, mm -hmm. which is where I'm, I kind of feel like it is necessary to sort of slowly kind of back some of that shit off and be like, all right, but try exploring again. Like, this has been working for you for 40 years, 50 years. Like, now start looking for something else, too. It's almost like planned obsolescence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like planned deconstruction. Yeah. Like, this seems to be helping me for a little while. Maybe I'll plan on not believing it forever and re-examine it in two years when the new version comes out. Yeah. And see if it's still serving me. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. We need yeah. a Samsung approach to ideology <laughs> and not a, a whoever makes my refrigerator has been up there for 50 years approach. <laughs> that's what we need. <laughs>